welcome to another edition of the Asymmetric Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Fung. Today, we are talking with several members of our fire development team. Andrew Marcus. Hey. John Lee. Hey there. And Rob Winterbottom. Hi. Hi, guys. They recently came back from the Fire Dev Days conference in Boston where we presented a talk. So, guys, how was Boston? The food was really good. I do like to try different restaurants when I'm out. And John got the lobster roll noodles, which was really good. And we got a massive 14-ounce lobster roll, which is basically a sub full of lobster. And (laughs) there's not a lot of mayonnaise. It's basically pure meat. So it was really, really good. And Rob failed to check out lots of restaurants. He actually just went to the same place twice. It's that good. I mean, a 14-pound lobster roll, that sounds amazing. The city was beautiful. I've been there once or twice, but this time I have the most fun just Mm -hmm. uh, walking around, trying new foods. Uh, meeting new people. So tell us, why were you guys at the uh, the Fire Dev Days conference? So we were going there just to learn a little bit more about fire in general. This was our, our first really big fire conference. So we wanted to meet some of the other developers and, and see what the community's like, see what people are building, uh, maybe even see what people are having troubles with and see if there's anything that we can kind of help out with there and collaborate on some open source projects and, and just kind of make everything better for the whole community. And one of the things that we discovered when we were there was that the fire community is open and welcoming and super friendly. And we felt like immediate part of it as soon as we were there. What kind of things were people talking about at the conference? They were talking a little bit about everything. Google was there. They were talking about Protobuf and what they're doing with that. There was a lot of talks about kind of integrating with Apple now that Apple is officially supporting DSTU2 and they're integrating it into their watches and, and other things as well. There was a couple of really cool talks about devices and having more devices that can actually read some of these measures from a person and then just kind of automatically put them into a fire server and then they can be read and analyzed by Apple applications, by Google applications, or by any other third-party applications. What does that mean for like an average person? How is this going to make, you know, an Apple device user's life easier? So it, it can help share data between different sources. So if you're going for a run and your watch is recording your run and you're recording your information and it records some metrics and biometrics about you, your health uh, care provider might not be able to access that stuff normally, but with fire and the whole approach to interoperability, the idea is that we can share data between EHRs and between systems. So even if that data is going to a system that your EHR is not really a part of, if it's exposed through a, a fire server, your providers might be able to read that information and they can actually kind of get more input onto what you're kind of doing. And if you're doing some at-home monitoring, then maybe you don't have to go to a hospital to do all sorts of things. Maybe you can do more stuff with devices at home and it can still be integrated into all these different services. So, mm. Is that what the future looks like? Possibly, yeah. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> what are the kinds of things for people talking about there, John? The biggest thing I got out of the conference was the, a lot of the talk on fire server as a whole and teaching newcomers um, how to do fire, how to um, get into their system and how to get the system up and running. Uh, One biggest thing that we got out of it was structure definitions is one of those things that it's a resource, but it defines your entire server. A structure definition has the rules for each resource. And it's one of those things that not a lot of people come in and know about. And it also takes a long time to really figure out what a structure definition is. So during the conference, they really want to talk about that aspect because they want everyone to really use these things. Yeah, I think when we first got started in FIRE, we were using JSON schemas instead, which was 
We actually thought that was kind of the source of truth for what a resource was supposed to be described as, but we found out later that they were kind of derived from these structured definitions. And we did find some uh, things in the JSON schema that we wanted it to have, but it didn't quite have. And when we looked into structured definitions, they did have them. So it seems like they're kind of the more single source of truth, and that's really where we should be focusing our effort on understanding what those are, how they work, how those are used to describe resources, and then how our servers can ingest them and, and uh, generate code to serve more things. And the point there really is that the fire spec is big, and we don't want to have to actually code all of it by hand. And these structure definitions essentially encode all the business rules already in a way that the community has standardized. And so we want to make sure that our tool is able to just read them and build the code for us based on them. Okay, so structured definitions, it sounds like Fires has reached critical mass with Apple and Google. What else? One technology that we've used in the past with great success was GraphQL, and it's been mentioned in the spec before, but it has a maturity level fairly low. So it's something that they're kind of the community's aware of, but there's not a lot of whole lot of people actually putting time and effort into it. When we went there, we kind of went there with, at least I went there with curiosity about GraphQL and I wanted to ask some people what they were doing, where's the spec going, and the general kind of, uh, I guess, consensus from people was that a lot of people were interested in it, just not a lot of people are doing it. We took the initiative when we came back from this to maybe contribute back a little bit and, and try to really dig into GraphQL and Fire and how those two should be married together. Were there any things that surprised you at the conference? One thing that we noticed was that there wasn't really a big focus on security. Um, part of our talk was about security and our secure fire server and things, but it seemed like people were much more focused on how do you move data around between different systems um, and a little bit less regard for how do you protect the data once it's in them or in transit between them. There was a, a good talk on privacy and sort of the implications of privacy to data, but um, security and privacy go hand in hand, but it's actually a separate discipline. As cybersecurity experts ourselves, we think that it's something that we would like to see more of at conferences like this. Another thing, too, was that I was kind of expecting to see a lot of developers out there building fire servers, and it seemed a lot the developers were more interested in building applications that integrated with fire servers. So there wasn't a whole lot of uh, fire servers production ready. There's a couple big ones, and then there's probably some closed source ones that really weren't mentioned there, but there wasn't quite as many fire servers as I was expecting. So when I heard some people asking about how hard it is to build your own fire server, it was, it was kind of interesting to see that there really isn't a whole lot of people undertaking this, and the people that did, it was generally a large team effort. Well, And we actually found that as part of our building process as well, that there weren't a lot of tools around or documentation for what goes into a fire server. Right, and even on top of that, the fire servers that's out there now, they don't support multiple versions. So if you wanted a DSTU 2 and a 3, you have to deploy two different versions. That makes it really hard for people to move up from version to version. Less support, but... Mm -hmm. So it kind of sounds like the wild, wild west. Is that accurate? <laughs> yes, that's basically right. <laughs> was there anything on the clinical side that was interesting? So one of the interesting conversations that we heard talked a lot about, and there, there were some sessions on, was about clinical quality data, basically taking various measurements that get made throughout a patient's journey through the healthcare system and calculating metrics sort of for an individual patient or across a population of patients. Um, there are mathematical formulas that define these things, and we also discovered there's a 
programming language essentially that defines how to do these measurements. Currently, that's all mostly set up against an older version of the health interchange called the CCDA that's not even fire. But there's been active work recently to convert all of that over to using fire, sort of both as input to these calculations and also as output. One of the important things about quality measures is they're useful for decision support, for guiding doctors on making decisions when they're looking at a patient, um, and also for seeing how well a hospital is doing, either compared to other hospitals or just overall, you know, how, how many patients get readmitted, things like that. So these things really come together to measure the success of a hospital system in treating their patients. So, Andrew, I want to hear more about your talk. You gave a talk there um, at Fire Dev Days that was pretty well received. Yeah, so we talked about the server that we've built, the secure fire server in Node. We talked about some of the pieces are that went into that. And we spent a while talking about our process for building it and what some of the challenges were that we encountered with the fire spec. So we'd actually talked about... The fact that JSON schemas weren't complete, we talked about some of the challenges around building out different versions of Fire, sort of as a request to the community to help solve some of these problems. And actually, over the course of the conference, we found that there are, in some cases, somewhat solutions to these. So that was great for us to have more exposure to. And then we also spent some time during our talk covering various best practices around security and mostly just web app security, things you should be doing like SSL. Um, but also talked about some specific use cases that pertain to fire. And we got a lot of positive feedback out of that. Security itself was not a topic that was covered a lot during the conference. And some people asked some great questions, and we had a whole lot of follow-up conversations, and people seemed pretty interested in what our server does and how they can use it. And where do you see Asymmetric's server fitting within the fire ecosystem? We're kind of working on a couple of different things with our server right now. We have a core library, which we're going to build, and it, it's almost being built as a facade server, but we want to show some examples of how it can be used as a full server. And just to clarify what that really means, a facade server is kind of fire-enabling your data source, so it's not necessarily a server and database packaged together. It's just an API layer that sits on top of some database or some data source that you may have. That's actually also what we're targeting with our GraphQL library is that it can sit on top of some data source and then fire enable that data source. But we also wanted to do uh, a couple of reference implementations of our core library and show how we could package it with Mongo inside of Docker or some other technologies or even some SQL servers and show that it can be used as a full server as well. What we found with most of the other fire server solutions that are out there is they're actually full standalone servers that you have to put data from a different source into them in order to fire enable it. And we felt strongly that we want ours to function primarily as a facade. It seems like there's a lot of value in that and a lot of use cases that are easier if you have a facade instead of a full standalone server stack. It sounds like you guys learned a lot at the conference. What are you planning to add to your solution based on what you learned? For one, I think we're going to focus putting in support for DSTU2. That's one of the things that we learned from the conference that a lot of 
EHRs and even Apple, they're really into DSU too. So we just want to make sure that we can support that. It's um, an older version of the spec, but it's the one that's used the most widely. Yep. Uh, also using structure definitions to validate our resources and to generate class definitions and just dynamically do things. We're going to not rely on the JSON schemas. So hopefully that'll be out soon. And another big thing would be GraphQL. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, changing our source of truth from JSON schemas to structure definitions will be definitely a big thing. And understanding structure definitions is a big undertaking in itself, which I think will be very important for us to have a good grasp on. But then kind of keep with the, the same roadmap that we already had. Keep focusing on security, focusing on being able to support multiple versions simultaneously, and then focus on being able to make these transitions as fast as possible. So if new versions come out, we want to be able to upgrade as quickly as possible. I think that all kind of comes back to understanding those structure definitions and how to generate all of our code for us. Overall, what impact do you see these changes having on fire interoperability? I think one of the key impacts we're hoping to make is adoption. We chose Node.js and GraphQL and some of these other technologies, partially because the large community that is behind these tools, JavaScript has tons, uh, probably millions of developers that are familiar with it. We feel that by building our Fire Facade server in JavaScript and on Node.js and making it easy for people to adopt and spin up these Facade servers that hopefully we'll start seeing a lot more Fire-enabled data sources. Yep, and also not getting stuck into any version. Uh, we want to build our solution for compatible. Makes it easier for anyone to upgrade because a lot of things we learned was not being able to be to go forward or backward. Yeah. Along with what John was saying was that the Fire server itself is a fairly large undertaking. There's lots of resources and there's a whole lot of things that you have to be able to support for each resource. So we're trying to build our servers in a way that you can opt into what you want to opt into kind of at a slow pace. So if you have, for example, all of your resources in DSTU2 and you want it to support a new version, on our servers you can actually enable just one profile on that new version, write the code for that one thing, and then when you're done, enable another version. So that way you don't have to attempt to do all the resources all at once, you can kind of just slowly ramp up your organization and get your data into the right format very slowly and, and make sure you're doing everything the right way. All right, where do you see the FIRE community going? What's next? That's a really good question. I saw a lot of talks on devices. I saw a lot of talks from uh, people trying to just make things FIRE-enabled. And now that Google and Apple are getting into the game, I think we're going to start seeing the adoption of FIRE really taking off in the next few years, if not even sooner. So I think the FIRE community is going to continue doing what they're doing, but I feel like it's going to get larger and larger. These conferences are, they're not huge software developer conferences, but I feel like they're going to get much bigger as the spec kind of matures. And we have uh, R4, which is the latest spec coming soon, and that's where it's really supposed to be mature and backwards compatible. And I think that's when a lot more people are going to start getting excited and jumping on board and, and really pushing this. Hopefully when that happens, the sharing of resources, the interoperability between EHRs from coast to coast, everything is just going to kind of take off. And I think everybody will benefit from this. The patients, the applications that people are building will get richer. And I just see everybody kind of winning from this one. Yeah, definitely. I think what I'm looking forward to is really seeing all of my data on my own laptop or my phone or even Apple apps. Just knowing more about myself that I can see and don't rely on Googling or just, you know, just small things like that. Yeah, along with 
what John's saying, having you know, being able to sign in once and see all your records versus having to go to one EHR, log in, look at something, go to another EHR, look at something is beneficial for us. But also think of it from a provider perspective. If you're a provider and you're getting ready to bring in a patient and make recommendations on how to treat a certain condition, it would be nice that you could get the patient's entire history versus just the history they have in your EHR. So if you can share resources across the EHR, I think everybody wins from that situation. It sounds like it would be great if you as a patient could get all your health records, just say on your phone, you go to three different doctors and three different medical systems and you can see all your records in one place. You don't have to fill out all that paperwork, but even a broader application like fighting a public health crisis, like the opioid crisis, right? I think a lot of medications get overprescribed because a lot of states have systems that don't talk to one another. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and there's even been cases too where if you're going on vacation and something happens and you go to a hospital and you get prescribed a particular pain medication, but then you come back here and maybe they give you a a different pain medication that might have a reaction to the one you were previously Mm -hmm. prescribed to. Um, Accidents happen and I think just having access to information hopefully reduces the number of accidents and those types of things that could happen. So it's not just you having access to the information on your phone. It's actually other providers having access to that information. Exactly, yeah. And if your provider doesn't have it, but at least you have it, then you can tell them, hey, I currently have a prescription from his, and here's the records from that particular visit that I had while I was on vacation. So that can just be very helpful to have on hand. Overall, was the conference a success? Would you recommend that other folks go? I think so, yeah. It's a good chance to meet some of the other people in the community. And the community, uh, as we kind of previously mentioned, they're very friendly. And we, we met and talked to uh, Graham Grieve, who was one of like the big guys in the, the fire thing, and now we're actually able to have conversations with him about changes to be made to the core spec. So they're they're very open and friendly, and I think going to these things and getting to meet some of these people was very beneficial for anybody trying to, to learn more about fire, especially from a developer's point of view. All of the key players in the fire spec um, in, in developing it and advancing it were at this conference, and they were easy to talk to. We had a lot of great conversations with people who actually can make changes to the spec, and we've already started some conversations about things like GraphQL and about version support, where we have a chance now to make an impact. And also any conference that you can walk five minutes to get lobster rolls is a success for me. <laughs> So final question, what's the best way to prepare a lobster? It really comes up to your personal preference, but I've had lobster rolls here in Maryland and it's typically more of a lobster salad. So you have cold lobster with a lot of mayonnaise, celery, other vegetables. And I feel like when they say a seven ounce lobster roll in that case, you're getting like three ounces of lobster and four ounces of oh, mayonnaise and other crap. When we went to the deli there, they had a hot version. It was only like an extra dollar or two to get it hot. And it's basically just lobster and butter. Oh. And it's so, yeah, it's so much better. So yeah, in my opinion, that's the best one. <laughs> Boston sounds like the place to be for that. Definitely. Well, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having me. And John. Thank you. And Andrew. Hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Asymmetric Healthcare Podcast. To find out more about what we're doing in healthcare, visit asymmetric.com slash healthcare.